Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today, with me today are Jeff Franke and Anna Wells. We're the editors of IN.com and Manufacturing.net, and we each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we cover the five most popular stories on the website and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Anna, welcome back this week. Thanks. Thanks for welcoming me back. I, it's great to be back. Yeah, you feeling better? I am. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff's is even clapping. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I would not be so happy. There's only one appendix left on this entire panel, so you should look at it. <laughs> I'm next. If it's contagious, you're done for. <laughs> um, Jeff, uh, how's the appendix feeling this week? <laughs> it's good. Yeah? For Other now. parts, you know, for questionable, now. but yeah. the appendix is fine. If you start feeling a foreign throbbing pain... Get in there, man. <laughs> Get it checked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys are kind of both ends of that spectrum in yeah. terms of like best case, worst case. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah. Mine comes out. I'm in like I'm across the country in California and with emergency surgery in a the worst hotel. And Anna's just like, I don't know. I feel bad. I'm at work the next day. <laughs> I was not at work the next day. She was like the second to next day. Like, OK, the following day you are working. Bad it precedent. Incredible. It was incredible. All right. Now, before we get started, we have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back. All right, our first story this week. Judge tells crypto plant to quiet down. Last year, Canadian cryptocurrency company Digihost bought a power plant in North Tonawanda, New York for $3.5 million. The company wanted to use its electricity for data mining, but the townsfolk said, not in my backyard. Several residents have concerns over potential noise levels and even filed a lawsuit to try and get the city to overturn the plant approval. A judge dismissed the lawsuit but said, it would be a good idea to reduce the noise because, quote, that would be a decent thing to do. Digihost said, quote, it acted swiftly in mitigating the noise issue and will continue to monitor its impact. Jeff, it's a good thing Digihost did the right thing. Yeah, they listened to the judge, right? Because we all just want to be better people. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes That's, is, yeah. that, is that reminder to be better. It's interesting. You know, at first you kind of think this maybe is an isolated incident or there's some sort of issue going on there, but... Doing a little research, this is actually showing up fairly often in a lot of these locations where folks are doing more of this mining. Mm -hmm. Um, It takes so much energy to cool down the computers when running these algorithms to try to find Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever you're looking for. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, these noise issues are real. There was a situation down in Tennessee, a couple different places in Canada where this has been a problem. Mm -hmm. This also actually made me kind of think of some interesting developments that are going on with this whole crypto thing. 
came across this company, actually talked to the founder and CEO of Digital Power Optimization. They're an outfit that partners with power plants, either that are under construction, looking to expand or just improve sort of their their power balance. Mm -hmm. And basically, they'll come on site. They use some of the power generated from the plant to mine crypto. Oh. And then kind of share the proceeds. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. Obviously different than this situation where they took over a power plant yeah. for the sole purpose of crypto mining. But I think this is going to become continue to become more of a prevalent issue or a more prominent one that, that pops up more often. I think it's another one of those cases where people are just saying, not in my backyard. Yeah. You know, they, they get it. I think it's also interesting when you look at sort of the social dynamic, because this is typically a group when you look at cryptocurrency buyers that are very socially engaged and active and also tend to be a little bit more environmentally conscious. Oh, yeah. So sort of competing factors there and going after this crypto, but also running these plants or consuming a ton of energy off the grid mm -hmm. in order to be able to do that. It's not going to be an issue until uh, there's a blackout or a brownout as a result of yeah. crypto mining. Yeah. Um, Anna. I know that your favorite subject is <laughs> cryptocurrency, so I wanted to go to you next. Yeah. It's not just because it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've asked for my uh, to be paid in crypto, mm -hmm. and I just, um, yeah, I just throw my salary right in the garbage. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's funny the way this, uh, this plant setup was described, um, because they said that the crypto mining operation was basically set up on the front lawn of this existing plant. Yeah. Um, which... Sounds ridiculous, but they put the the operation in shipping containers, and I think it's hard to use an inside voice in there. There, the the, um, the folks who filed the lawsuit had it dismissed actually for two main reasons. One, the judge said they didn't have the standing to sue. It was like three citizens and I think the Sierra Club mm -hmm. um, that kind of pooled resources and tried to sue to get this thing shut down. Um, and then secondly, they were basically past the deadline. Yeah, it was like yeah. they had a limited amount of time to to thirty days. 30 days to take yeah. this up with the the city and it was just too late. So I got the impression based on the judge's wording here that he was feeling maybe like his hands were tied mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. maybe did believe that this case had merit and just was like, come on, just, you know, yeah. do, do, do the right thing. Right. Yeah. And I can see why the townspeople find this annoying. I mean, it was described as like, one resident described the noise as, quote, like a jet engine running while you're sitting inside the plane on the tarmac. Um, and, and then that's loud. That's loud. And complaints yep. were coming from up to a mile away to the point where the the mayor had to issue a letter about the noise. So it was um, not just like this little thing that was like, you know, irritating a couple of people that were right nearby. It was like really spreading far. And I think it got hairy because the plant... Um, so this this company, the crypto company, bought the plant, and so the town council approved the sale. Mm -hmm. I think they, like, I don't think they accounted for the noise, and you can kind of appreciate, like, they weren't exactly approving the new use, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think they were just approving the sale, the sale of it. So then when this came up, they're like, well, we, you know, we approved the sale. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it, it is, like, kind of a, a knotted issue for the city, I think, and for the residents, um, you hope that that this maybe is over. It's not a very good um, marketing campaign for this company or for future um, investments if they choose to make those in other communities. Yeah. Wasn't one of the other caveats that in order to file a lawsuit, you had to like live within 1,000 feet of it? 
or something. It seemed like you had to be real close. Yeah, it was to be very impacted. Exactly. You're absolutely right. It was very specific. And, and unfortunately, I think that's why the judge was like, look, you yeah. know, we I can't permit this to go through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Jeff, go ahead. No, you're just going to wonder if there wasn't some sort of OSHA regs, too, in terms of the noise that's coming off. Oh. When you think of a typical power plant, it's kind of that humming mm-hmm. noise or whatever that's easier to contain or to, to regulate or to treat. With this being, I think, more because of the crypto mining and all the cooling operations that are needed for those computers, I got out of hand pretty quick. But you maybe thought there were some regulatory issues there, too. Yeah. So the noise comes from the operations in the shipping containers set up uh, outside the plants that contain the computers. Now, opponents of cryptocurrency mining say that uh, data mining process uses massive amounts of electricity, leading to increased emissions of greenhouse gases. And Jeff, like you said, that does kind of seem to, you know, these normally seem like a group that are, have sustainability on the mind, right. and it just kind of seems like a conflict of interest. Part of the story reminded me of when they were going to put up a new convenience store by my house, and out of sheer like interest, mostly because I wanted the convenience store, I went to the the planning meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And I had no idea the hysteria that unfolded as a result of this. The light pollution, the traffic patterns. Could you believe the noise and the waste? Are they going to take care of the garbage receptacles? And I just sat there while enjoying the entire <laughs> spectacle and just like raising my hand like, we're talking about a gas station, right? We got gas station. They're like, it's going to disrupt the entire flow of traffic. I just don't see how you understand the trouble. It's like, so I get how when, you know, while it's like a handful of people that are vocal you know, they can make it they can make it very uncomfortable for anybody going into a community. But this is sort of uncharted waters. Oh, I mean, yeah. These operations yeah. are so new. Well, yeah. It would probably so, have been difficult to, to foresee this. Well, and it's so weird how the operation is set up where the shipping containers are outside the plants. Yeah. If they were inside the plants, I bet it wouldn't even be an issue. No, People wouldn't it. know. It's it was so like like if you could be more inconspicuous about it, maybe this wouldn't be happening. But um it just it seemed like a sort of inviting Criticism, and I wonder too if, like, if it were a project that was creating jobs, mm-hmm. maybe job creator, yeah, people wouldn't, you know, completely agree. Because so the exact same thing is happening in Park Falls, Wisconsin. There's a new crypto mining plant at a former paper mill, and they basically they bought this paper mill and they just brought in four 40 foot, 40 foot containers that have been operating since February 20th, and it's just this Chinese company that has sites in Wisconsin and Texas, and so far, you know. Uh, the community has been receptive to it uh, because they're tra- like uh, the companies are attracted to areas with cheaper power and at least in the Wisconsin locations, a cooler environment, which yeah. is, you know, needed for these uh, servers. But yeah. if you can use uh, nature a little bit more than other cooling methods, maybe that'll save you a little bit of cost. So like the city does not believe that this is the best use of the property in terms of jobs uh, for the area. However, it is a matter solely for the owner of the mill to decide. And so, like, it's oh. sort of the same thing where it's mm-hmm. like, we have nothing to do here. As long as they're complying with zoning codes, the city can't do much. And so, like, the mayor, everyone's kind of speaking out about it. And it's like, sorry. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit more goodwill towards the city. I we don't know. already said yes. Yeah. <laughs> we cashed the check. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next most popular story this week, engineer pitches space shotgun to save the Earth. NASA researchers are looking into a new line of defense that could break apart asteroids days or even hours before a potential impact with Earth. The Pi Terminal Defense for Humanity is the brainchild of Philip Lubin, 
an engineer at the University of California, Santa Barbara. The project was recently selected for phase one of the NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts Program. Pi would shoot a series of small rods at an asteroid like a shotgun blast full of rods. Just never thought I would ever say that sentence in my life. But here we are. Ideally, the rods would break the projectile into smaller pieces that would burn up upon entries. Uh, <coughs> entry. The system would be deployed in orbit or on the moon, but the moon would be ideal due to the lack of atmosphere and much lower gravity. With the right equipment, Pi could attack everything from asteroids 20 meters wide to a little more than a half a mile wide in minutes. Though, for those larger ones, they're going to need a little more time. Now, Jeff, I wanted to go to you first because of your rods from God expertise. You are our go-to rod projectile weapon expert. Wow. Mm-hmm. I want that on the business card. How does it feel? <laughs> um, really, Anna doesn't have as much knowledge or feedback on military, no. high, you know, this highly is, technical ooh, military applications. This is Liter- literally, yeah, literally none. Yeah. <laughs> And thanks for bringing up, when did we run that video? That's got to be four or five years ago. Yeah, it's 2016, 2017. Yet it remains just the highest one on YouTube ever. You need a foam finger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, This is pretty interesting, pretty cool technology. I mean, and you got to love anything that starts out with the name pulverize it. Mm -hmm. You think he kind (laughs) of leaned into that when he was pitching it to NASA, just like when kind of the infomercial are out. Pulverize it. Got an asteroid? pulverize it mm-hmm. push the button here we go <laughs> no it's kind of it's a cool approach and it does kind of um sort of a hybrid from a, the movie armageddon which nolan mentioned in uh in describing it mm-hmm. where there these rods are going to actually burrow into the asteroid and then blow it up from inside mm-hmm. yeah and it kind of reminded me too a little bit when i first got into the army i was involved in field artillery mm-hmm. and we did have something that we would put on the end of the shells it was a timed fuse oh, for those of you who are what watching, is that this is an artillery fuse. I don't know if you can see that, but basically you can see it's just cone shaped. It's got threads on the end. So you'd screw it into the shell and yeah. go on top. And this one is a timed fuse. Is this an explosive device? No, this oh, is like, okay. this is the light switch. But, oh, okay. Okay. It's not okay. connected to the lights. It's not going to turn anything on. Gotcha. Okay. But you can see like there's little numbers in there and you have a tool okay. top where you could adjust the timing. Now, typically where you use these mm-hmm. was if you wanted shrapnel like overhead so you didn't want it to explode when it hit the ground you wanted it to explode in the air down so these would be a little bit different approach obviously because you want it to hit burrow into the asteroid and then blow it up can i hold this yeah it's totally safe that's a training aid that's like 30 years old i gotta say i thought this was something trivial related when he brought it in. i know me too i didn't know it so was, that's kind of it's just interesting because it, what it showed me is we're taking some technology that we sort of have a basis for and mm-hmm. expanding the application. So, I mean, a timed military fuse has been around forever. Our first Today in Manufacturing show and tell. I like it. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you went to Jeff first. I did not bring any visual aids. <laughs> right? You don't have military <laughs> artillery fuses just laying around? Yeah, he didn't bring one for each of us, though. Mm. David, you can keep that on your desk Kind of like. against the rules. Fantastic. Um, Anna, your thoughts on uh, shotgun blast full of rods? Okay, my first thought was... Why is NASA's website look like it has not been updated since like the late 90s? I don't think it has. That's why. <laughs> so it's going str- retro. It's leaning into it. Mm-hmm. You know? I guess. It's just uh, like 
It, or maybe they make everyone fill out like a very long contract. Like they've been trying to do the website redesign for like 15 years and it's just way over budget and over schedule, like everything else they do. Mm-hmm. I think they just start new websites for everything. Yeah. Like they don't keep the core one, like the Mars thing. It had its own website. I don't know. That's true. Actually, like, new products do have really cool new websites and they just have the legacy site. Like it's fine. It's a GeoCities ever heard of it. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I don't know. I think you have to consider this kind of stuff. Like I know somebody on our website commented about their concerns about like this kind of technology getting into the wrong hands, which I get it. Like all technology. All technology. Well, that's that's exactly my point. Like okay. we already have a ton of that. Like um, it's never stopped anybody before. Unfortunately, maybe it should. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. The plot of every nefarious sci-fi movie. I know. Exactly. I mean, so it's been said before that space innovation is an ethical imperative because species extinction precludes all other ethical considerations. Mm -hmm. Like, does it feel that clear cut to you guys? Like, like that this could potentially save lives. So we just need to do it. I think that it's better to be prepared than, you know, the, uh, like, and don't look up when all of a sudden I was wondering how long we were going to do before we got to that. Well, just because I know that don't look up is supposed to be about, you know, climate change, but it's like, no, that's how we would also really respond to that pretty directly where we would look to an Elon Musk to create some, uh, asteroid harvesters. So we'd all become rich. Uh, so I like the idea of, I guess, however, futuristic it might sound a little bit of planning Mm -hmm. or because what, uh, you know, what is it like some half of a percentage that actually goes to protecting the planet from projectiles, like of the overall budget? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. okay to put a little money in there. I mean, well, I agree. And if, you know, at, at, how would we calculate at which point this is a good idea if it's not a good idea now? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's um, a 40% risk to take out. Yeah. 2% of the planet. Like, okay. Like, I, I don't, I don't think there's like a, an algorithm here where you can just decide like this is the tipping point. Like if the technology exists and this is something that is a potential threat, then I I think it's something to explore. Well, and we're really on the like beginning stages of this entire project. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing the story made me do is look into the NASA innovative advanced concepts program because it tackles some big things like space travel, living in space, manufacturing in space, which we've talked about quite a bit among others. And you know, some of the other projects that were greenlit this year were breathing on Mars, digital thread being used in spacesuits, and creating swimming rovers to explore ocean worlds. So, you know, some futuristic stuff. And I know uh, when typically we think of NASA, we think of like just gross sums of money. Yeah. But uh, so there are three different phases of contracts that you get with NASA, right? This was a phase two. But phase one, they give out anywhere from 12 to 18 of these phase one contracts, and they're only for a nine-month study, and they're only about $175,000 each. So pretty exploratory. Now, in phase two, it's a five $500,000 study uh, for two years, and they give about six to eight of these awards per year. So I know that you think space shotgun firing rods out, but it's kind of like in the grand scheme of it, if we have to spend $500,000 to see if a space shotgun will work. I've seen worse spending. Do you think $500,000? I mean, I want to see the prototype. I think it's no. going to go over budget. <laughs> well, no. So that's the thing is, uh, it's, see, you do know how all this yeah, works. I do. But then, you know, no, that's like 
what they receive for the phase two contract. And then if they get a phase three contract, that's where they get $2 million for a two year study, but only one person or only one company gets that per year. Mm -hmm. So it's structured. So that way you see some of this exploratory stuff in phase one where people are just like, no, you're crazy. Yeah. And then some people are like, I mean, we thought it was crazy, but that space shotgun. Yeah. I mean, the presentation actually looks good. So we're going to move into phase two. Going to move into phase two. Well, I think there's there's two things here. First of all, it's the thing that leads to the thing. So doing mm-hmm. this type of work, who knows what this can spawn in terms of new technology. Yeah, that we more can space use. guns, like all kinds of space guns. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We can use space guns for stuff on Earth too, Anna. Mm-hmm. We can. We can. Yeah, they shoot down drones. Yeah. Mm. Duh. <laughs> also... The other thing I keep thinking about this, you know, you said about having a plan. It's mm-hmm. it's like your favorite episode of Modern Family, right? Mm-hmm. What's the plan, Phil? Yeah. What's the plan, Phil? Yeah. So if something does come hurling towards Earth, we're not doing the equivalent of Ty Burrell jumping on the hood of the station wagon <laughs> as it rolls down the street. Mm-hmm. We have a plan. Yeah. And I think that just offers a little bit of peace of mind as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. No, completely agree. And uh, I mean, to your point earlier, Jeff, uh, you had mentioned that you were surprised the space shotgun wasn't more popular. Yeah. I was too. I mean, maybe it was a little too futuristic for the audience this week, you know? Just like, oh, enough already. <laughs> enough, you guys. We've had it, says our audience. Our third most popular story this week spraying diesel caused vessels' engine room fire. On March 17th, 2021, towing vessel, the towing vessel, Miss Dorothy, was pushing 14 barges on the Mississippi River north of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when a fire broke out in the engine room. The eight crew members aboard briefly attempted to fight the fire, but were unsuccessful and evacuated. The vessel was declared a total loss at $2.4 million. On Tuesday, the National Transportation Safety Board wrapped up its investigation into the incident and found that the fire was caused by sprayed diesel fuel hitting an uninsulated section of the engine's exhaust system. This section of the exhaust system was subject to temperatures greater than 428 degrees Fahrenheit, often higher than 600 degrees Fahrenheit. It was the likely ignition point for this atomized or spraying diesel fuel. Anna, your thoughts on the loss of the Miss Dorothy? Uh, well... I'm not trying to offend her, but Miss Dorothy is an old lady. <laughs> she was classy built, lady. I know. Well, she was built in experienced. Exper- experienced, yeah. She was built in 1956 by Dravo Corp- Corporation in Neville Island, Pennsylvania, mm. but not named um, Miss Dorothy until August of 2016, which I thought what? was weird. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, was, given the age, I figured it was some sort of Wizard of Oz reference. Yeah, maybe it's a Golden Girls. Uh, not, I don't know. RIP. Um, I just, I don't know. It was, it's interesting because these barges, like they seem to last forever if maintained, like the Navy still operates like a bunch of really, really old barges, although they get terrible reviews from the sailors. Um, like some of them are from the 1940s. Mm. And so like you think about when these were made, like lead paint, asbestos, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, maintenance that needs to occur on these ships to keep them operating. And what industry are, are we using equipment that is this freaking old? I, like even locomotives and stuff get re- retired, like, and decommissioned after like 30 years. I mean, these are hey, old, old ships. If it floats, get I, it out there. I guess. I don't know. So I just, I don't know. I feel like what else is kind of lurking underneath or how much work needs to be done in these. I don't know. But my favorite line in this report had to do with the, uh, the fire itself and how they said that while there were no injuries were reported, obviously, but also no pollution was reported. Oh yeah. Like 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, just a diesel generated fire on a ship that burned yeah. for hours. It's I mean, really old. Like, I'm sure that there was no pollution yeah, whatsoever no. from this that is, incident. I mean, this is a small engine fire that got out of hand, way out of hand really mm-hmm. fast. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But I mean, comparatively to what was it? The Felicity Ace that just dropped a couple thousand uh, luxury cars to the bottom of the ocean. That's more pollution. It's more. Yeah. <laughs> so not so bad. I guess. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on the loss of Miss Dorothy? Well, I think a lot of what Anna is alluding to is there's almost a lack of accountability here. Mm. And you know how I feel about that. Yeah. I think I've made my track record pretty clear, and that's where I get frustrated. It's great. NS, NTSB jumps in here. They do their report. And what they end up coming out with is, hey, guys, this engine part, it should have been insulated. Mm-hmm. Because the diesel fuel combined with the high temperatures, that's what made this fire so impossible to extinguish. Okay, that's great. That's step one. Mm-hmm. Now what? Mm-hmm. I want to know why was this not insulated? Is it because you didn't have enough people? Is it because you didn't have resources? Is there a missing part? Is this a supply chain issue? What is, why is that? And then secondly, just because you know the source of the problem doesn't mean, well, you lost the boat. It's done. We're, this, is, this is resolved. This is mm-hmm. over now. Where's the accountability? Whether it's the NTSB whether it's the some maritime uh, regulatory organization, whether it's the Coast Guard, somebody needs to be involved in more than just saying, well, we learned what happened and that's good. And in order to make sure this doesn't happen, we're going to really make sure people pay attention to this rule that says this should be this part should be insulated so it doesn't catch on fire. Right. Yeah. Just the one what part. What next? Though. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like this seems real straightforward. We've covered a number of these incidents before. And every time this stuff, I cannot imagine something more frightening than being on fire in the water. In the water at, yeah. at 2 a.m. What do you, what yeah. do, you do like, here? In the middle of the night, just. Now, the, and this barge was pushing 14 other ships yeah. down mm-hmm. the Mississippi River. Yeah. Now, I'm glad it was, nobody was, nobody, there's nobody no fatalities. Was, yeah. There was nothing there. That's great. But what if there, but there certainly could have been. If this boat was unsalvageable because of fire, if I'm in one of those 14 other boats and all the cargo that they were, they were hauling, mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's, there's just the fact that there's just, the incident, the investigation, and we're done seems absolutely preposterous. If this was a manufacturing facility, if this was some sort of on-land operation, this would have, OSHA would have been all over this. Yeah, There would have been criminal charges and fines, but there's some weird dynamic at play here. When this stuff happens on the water, nobody knows who to take, who to take charge and what to do. I think there is going to be a little bit of accountability because there was a specific regulation that they pointed to that said – this type, uh, this specific type of a component needed to be insulated. They found that that was the cause of it, and so I think something will result from that. But even um, in the NTSB report, and I know we're on the same page here, but they just said, "What's the takeaway here? Mm-hmm. Insulate the part. Yeah, insulate the part." Mm-hmm. I mean, really, unfortunately, it's sometimes it's that cut and dry. Like what I found interesting was that it was inspected in July 2019. And they found nothing or unordinary. So does that mean they didn't look at that in 2019? Or does that mean that something went wrong in 2019? Um, the other is that, so uh, it was kind of crazy how everything was really unremarkable unremar- until sort of the fire went down. And then everything was in working order until they saw a little bit of fire. And then within 30 seconds of the fire alarm sounding, everything was out of control. Yeah. The other thing was that they, oh, I mean, uh, granted that this part should have been insulated, but the other part of the report is that they never found out the cause of the fuel spray. So, uh, and the reason I looked into it was because George F on the website, uh, wrote in and asked 
he wanted to know the cause behind the spray of diesel fuel because uh, he suggested that not even the NTSB knows. Um, or no, he wanted to know. And the answer is that not even the NTSB knows. Right. Like uh, they said, the fuel likely came from an undetermined pressure source near the forward end uh, of the starboard starboard main engine capable of spraying or atomizing the fuel, such as a faulty flange connection, gauge line, pressure, pressure gauge, or pump seal. And kind of a little to your point, Jeff, is that even after this incredible, like incredibly long investigation where they looked at everything, they still didn't have an answer. But this can't be that complicated. When you've got temperatures of 600 degrees, look, I don't care how clean and how well sealed your operation is. If there's gas and oil, it's getting out someplace. Mm-hmm. It's still a liquid. And if it makes contact with that type of heat and that surface, guess what? It's going to blow. There's going to be a fire. There's going to be a spark. And if there's more fuel and oil in the area, which there's going to be in an engine compartment this size, you're going to have bad things. That's why you insulate the parts. Mm-hmm. And that's why I just, the question needs to be answered. Why wasn't it insulated? Yeah. And actually, that was another part of George F.'s uh, comment is that he's worked on uh, vessels like this previously mm-hmm. and said that fires are common. You know, and it's just, yeah. I mean, that's the crazy part of it is, is it's just like, yeah, another one really got out of hand. Well, we should we should stop that. Mm-hmm. We should, uh, yeah. So you're right, Jeff. Uh, insulate the part, right? Well, two point four million—that's a big loss for that company. Mm-hmm. But there's insurance. You said it was an old boat. Old. I mean, so they're gonna ma- they're gonna be made whole there. Mm-hmm. There has to be greater ramifications for when this type of stuff happens because thankfully this time it wasn't more than just the boat. Who knows what happens next time? We covered the story in December. Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, when they were doing that dredging down mm-hmm. in the Gulf, there six crewmen lost their lives. Yeah, no, and it's uh, I mean, Anna, when you talk about how old the boat is, uh, if you're gonna keep it in service, uh, you have to do your best to make sure that it's as safe as possible. Yeah. All right, our second most popular story this week: inmate working at tornado ravaged factory hailed as hero. On December 10th, a tornado demolished the Mayfield Consumer Products candle plant in Mayfield, Kentucky. Eight workers lost their lives, but the death toll could have been higher if not for Marco Sanchez. Sanchez was an inmate at the Graves County Jail, but also on work detail at the factory. When the building came down on him and his co-workers, Sanchez found a small hole in the rubble and crawled out. He then pulled victims from the rubble and provided aid to others who were trapped and injured. And he did all of this despite having a broken leg and cracked ribs. On February 22nd, Sanchez received the Sheriff's Meritorious Award for his actions. When he received the award, he still had seven days remaining on his sentence. He was scheduled to be released on March 1st, but he didn't have a job or a place to live. Anna, Sanchez was serving a year for stealing a phone. What were your thoughts on this somewhat heroic, not somewhat, this absolute heroic act Absolutely. during a tragedy. Yeah. Could you imagine, um, you know, being like basically a first responder w- with a broken leg and a broken rib trying to help these people out? It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about the coverage here, I think, is how the heroes in the story were the regular people working in the plant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Marco Sanchez, who's a convicted thief, basically, it sounds like he's had a pretty rough go with like chronic homelessness and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the villains are the company's managers in right. this narrative who were reportedly being 
you know, telling employees that if they left when they're asking to leave, that they would be fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people have filed lawsuits about that situation specifically, but I guess the follow up coverage is at least um, pretty heartwarming as it relates to Mr. Sanchez. So the sheriff, um, John Hayden is his name, who's actually the man who arrested him initially, mm-hmm. um, is now said to be his biggest advocate. And besides the award that he was given for bravery, um, Sheriff Hayden has also reportedly helped him open a bank account and arranged oh. for several job interviews. Very good. So I think, I don't know, there's not to get you know too big picture here, but I think there's a lot of debate about the criminal justice system and whether punitive actions like jail time are appropriate or if rehabilitative ones um, actually are more effective in turning the tide for people. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if like the public accolades, the job interviews, the bank accounts, like this will probably do more to help this person than him sitting in jail. Yeah. So Jeff, it was miraculous that he survived because people, many people actually died in that area where he crawled out. Now, after he freed himself, he went and he found tools and supplies. And then after he was done helping people, He caught a ride to the emergency room, received treatment, tried to turn himself into a state trooper who then said, I'm busy. Do the right thing, which I thought was an awesome part of the story. Mm -hmm. And then he does the right thing. He takes a shuttle to jail, finds out the jail is like demolished, then winds up in a shelter. Um, And then after all of this, he actually helps the sheriff's relocate to a new building because their old building was destroyed in the yeah, tornado the jail was as well. destroyed. Yep. Um, it is just, I thought it was an incredible story. Uh, what was your take on uh, Marco Sanchez? Yeah, it was miraculous. You said miraculous what he did. It was miraculous that he survived to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then what is it about somebody that makes him run towards the fight? Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know, what is that? We've always talked about that. What is it within somebody that that triggers that response. We all want to be that person who goes towards the fight as opposed to run away from it. But here we see that character really revealed mm-hmm. in what he did. And like you said, it wasn't just doing the right thing in that instance where maybe you, you just react as opposed to really think it through. Once he got to the hospital, there could have been any number of things he could have done to either just hang out or, or walk off, do whatever. And that's where you could almost have seen this story going wrong. Here he does all these great things, and then because he couldn't turn himself in, he just went home yeah, or whatever, and he didn't. He continued to do the right thing, so it does tell you a lot about his moral character. Kind of cool, too, another follow-up was that he did receive a car. Somebody donated oh. a car mm. so that he has more opportunities to better his life in terms of getting to these jobs, hopefully, yeah. that, that he's been applying for. And um, the, like you said, I think the sheriff said he was also getting a phone and some other things just to try to get his life back on track. You'd think if somebody gives him an opportunity, these types of characteristics will continue to to shine through. Well, and it's uh, it's another point to no matter where you are in life, you can always change. You know, he had been completely uh, removed from his family for I think it was like 15 years. He hadn't spoken with his family because of the troubles he's had with mm-hmm. homelessness um, and other uh, likely other things. And, you know, this was something that when it started to catch a little bit of news – they reached out and he was able to reestablish a connection. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool story, uh, a nice reminder of that no matter where you are, you can make changes, mm-hmm. you know, positive changes in your life. Absolutely. Okay. Our most popular story this week, helicopter maker abandons new factory. In early 2019, Swiss helicopter manufacturer Copter announced its plans to, quote, conquer the U.S. market from its new factory in southern Louisiana. Well, 
Things haven't gone according to plan, and the company recently pulled the plug on the entire project. Should have said retreated there. Copter makes single-turbine helicopters for transportation services, utilities, and first responders. The company bought out the lease of a former Bell helicopter facility and vowed to invest more than $4 million at the complex. It was going to create more than 120 new jobs and make a new helicopter for the company. The state offered millions in incentives. But then, Copter was acquired by Italian aerospace company Leonardo, with U.S. operations in Philadelphia, and the deal fell apart. The company blamed the pandemic and the collapse of the oil and gas sector. But Jeff, it sounds like the facility fell by the wayside after that Leonardo deal. Yeah. And you know what? Just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Just say, hey, look, you know, we understand what was going on here before. Mm-hmm. We've This is a big company. Leonardo is a global operation all over the place. And for them to just be straightforward and say, hey, look, this just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. We've got other places we can do this stuff. First of all, to blame the pandemic. We all were in trouble with the pandemic. That affected all of us. That's kind of a given. Mm-hmm. Don't don't lean on that as your leading reason for doing this. <laughs> the other thing is to talk about the oil and gas industry in the Gulf right now as being one of the reasons you're not moving forward with this. That doesn't work either. Yeah. Okay. There's a little bit going on right now in terms of wanting to ramp up oil and gas operations. Mm-hmm. So those things are not viable reasons. We always preach about leverage your efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Eliminate waste. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Operating, Opening up this facility would have been a discredit to any of the people that were promised jobs, the local community, because they would have been there, tried it for six months, and been like, wow, this is redundant. We don't need this. Yeah. So by letting this community know sooner, they were doing the right thing. Just don't guise it and all that other stuff. Just be straightforward about it. Yeah. I like how blaming the pandemic has become an excuse for everything, Anna. Yeah, that's why I didn't come to work last week was because of the pandemic, the pandemic. and the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because of the pandemic, your appendicitis. Yeah, and Makes I sense. couldn't uh, afford to drive to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this site has a bit of a weird history. I, I enjoy that Like probably every time we do the podcast, you have to say the line, well, things didn't go according to plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Blame the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, so as mentioned, it was a Bell helicopter plant before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationship between Bell and like Louisiana's economic development agencies um, ended up like pretty fractured in the end. Um, they had offered Bell $26 million in incentives. And then here again with Copter, we've seen millions in incentives. Um, it. It makes me think, like, I think we see a lot of these sort of, I don't know, sour results that come from some of these, uh, you know, engagements between economic development and business. And I just sometimes wonder if some of these partnerships do more harm than good. And I say that because sometimes I feel like these companies are bribed into making decisions that they wouldn't make if they were on the hook for the entire investment cost. Um, And you know, if you look at like some of the screaming deals and like Bell got one, you yeah. know, um, oh, yeah. it's like maybe they think like, well, we could roll the dice on this because we have this money coming in to help support it. They're not necessarily on the hook for that entire thing themselves. And in the case of Bell, like they did a ton of negotiating and renegotiating. Bell was trying to move some of its jobs elsewhere. And then, you know, the state was like, wait, 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 let's can we keep these here? And we'll we'll dial back the agreement a little bit if you keep this many jobs and just keep this assembly part. But you can move that one. And um, 
it just it feels like it almost gets in the way of like what your strategy would be without that. And yeah. I know that this has become sort of par for the course as these businesses negotiate where they want to be. And I get that the states have incentives to get the jobs and all that stuff. But um, at the end of this with Bell, Louisiana actually tried to go back and get $16 million back from them, oh, well. even after they were, you know, shuttering that plant. And in the case of Copter, like they're saying they can't find a way to fit this into their five-year plan. Like, I don't know. Like, do you think, I, I know that like some things change for them with this acquisition, but like, do you think they're making these kind of mistakes if they're on the hook for this entire investment cost? I just wonder if sometimes they're like, these mistakes are... They're like worth the risk to just see if we can make this work. Because we talk about this all the time on the podcast, a company that invests millions and millions of dollars, the state ponies up cash, the county does, the city does. And then in two years, they're shut down. Yeah. Like, why is that happening? You know? Oh, it's, oh, go ahead. I think the municipalities are definitely overzealous. Mm -hmm. I think the initial thought process, the initial goal is good. And needs to continue to happen. For you sure. do want to pursue these companies. You do want to recruit them, make it as appealing as possible to come to or stay in your state. But there's a line. And I think that's what you're talking about here. And again, there needs to be a level, and this is maybe is my keyword for the whole episode here, accountability again for mm-hmm. these, these politicians in terms of it can't just be about the headline. It also has to be about the long-term benefit, not just the 170 jobs now. What does that mean in a couple of years? Mm-hmm. Is that, and I'm sure when you look at an aerospace manufacturer like this, they're not just thinking about Copter or Bell. They're thinking about all of the supporting infrastructure, manufacturing support that's going to come in as well. All the suppliers, all the distribution, all that, that could also be attracted to this sort of, um, you know, uh, foundation in, in developing more, more manufacturing, more job creation. But they are going too far right now. And I think that it's just become so competitive mm-hmm. between states that it's not just about getting the jobs. It's about not letting it go someplace else. Yeah. And they get caught up in that. Well, and I think some of the stipulations become problematic as well because you can't just run your business the the best way to run your business, right? When mm-hmm. you're held to, you know, uh, uh, job numbers that you have to hit, when you have to maintain 170 jobs that pay X per year in order to receive that incentive, Mm -hmm. you're making decisions for your business based on meeting that tax incentive number rather than what's maybe best for you guys. And honestly, I mean, Copter kind of probably dodged a bullet here um, with uh, Leonardo saying like, we're just not going to do it Mm -hmm. because I bet it would be easy for them to see kind of free money and be like, you know, we could play this out for five years. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think that just kind of, uh, shakes up the entire area even more. Oh yeah. That's where those, that's where those bad feelings come in. Yeah. When you do take advantage of everything and then just say, well, this deal is done. We're out. And how many communities have you seen just completely wrecked by that? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we go back to Foxconn all the time, but it wasn't until this year that Foxconn actually received some state incentives that they were promised. And how many times have we heard about, uh, some of those jobs not actually doing anything, Mm -hmm. you know, we've heard the reports of them just racing around empty uh, buildings on chairs. I mean, and while that sounds like a fun gig for a week, <laughs> maybe boring. Yeah. Um, the other, uh, one of the parts of the story that, you know, this, the part of all of these stories that always gets me is uh, how local officials are never given up on the site. Mm-mm. It's like, all right, this one fell through, but we got suitors. You know, we got potential tenants have already come in, toured the facility. I tell you what, it's not over. It's not over. And they play that for about a week. And then they're like, no, it's over. There's we nobody sh- else. We shopped it at the helicopter show. <laughs> yeah. No takers. Turns out not that many helicopter makers out there anymore. 
<clears throat> but uh, that's the part where uh, the local officials just try and save face. No, 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 no. We have like a new sauna manufacturer coming in. And they might have eight jobs there. We have a cryptocurrency miner oh. <laughs> that is here to take over the site. I mean, did, I mean, we ran out of time, but how did we not talk about how this like post-apocalyptic landscape where everyone never leaves their VR rigs like in Ready Player One, and all that you see outside are crypto plants just constantly humming, but nobody can hear it because we're all deaf from the noise. I think you are the only one who went there, David. I don't want to go there. Let's stop. Okay. Let's stop it before it starts. I mean, I mean if we have started. a meta, if we have a metaverse story, mm. then let, we can make that jump. Oh this is the metaverse story. This is the beginning. <laughs> All right. Before we get into, in case you missed it, we have another word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back. Let's jump into, in case you missed it, stories that maybe weren't that popular on the website this week, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Jeff, I'd like to start with you. What is your, in case you missed it this week? So unlike Anna, the people in Savannah, Georgia, or the officials in Savannah, Georgia, really, really want to go to space. (laughs) <laughs> they really want to build a spaceport that will allow basically for them to accommodate people who want to launch satellites and other things up into uh, the great blue heavens. The problem is everybody else, not so much on board. They're not into it. They're not on board. Mm-mm. And basically they had an election there to, to talk about the investment. They're going to be developing like 4,000 acres of land, putting in the spaceport. And it was voted down Heavily, like hardcore, like three to one, basically, Mm -hmm. people said, no, I do not want this. The local officials are saying, we know, we see the election results, but only 17% of the registered voting public participated in this election. So we're going to keep running this. We're going to keep going for it. We're going to keep pushing it. The constituents in the area are saying, well, if that's what you're going to do, we're going to get this local board, city um, aldermen, all these people who are pushing this down our throat, we're going to get them out of there. Because they just don't want this. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is it's kind of another one of those not in my backyard to- mm-hmm. sort of stories. I think they've read a lot about what um, some of the issues that's happened down oh. with Elon Musk's um, area down there where basically oh. he bought the retirement community. Boca Chica. And, yeah. yeah. Boca Chica. Uh, down in Texas. And they're, they just don't want it. Even mm-hmm. though the economic development aspect of it, I'm sure, is incredible and extremely alluring. And again, we were just talking about another aerospace project in Louisiana where I'm sure local officials were like, get them in here. This will just Mm -hmm. be the start. I'm sure that's what they're looking at here. Because this would be owned by the city or by the uh, the county, I should say, I'm sure they see it as a very lucrative opportunity to uh, to have this type of facility. But it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of plays out. Is the county going to be able to get more people on board? Are the people going to continue to remain this adamant about not wanting this? Yeah. And also, is this another one of the things we're just talking about crypto? Nobody wants the noise pollution mm-hmm. and everything else. We see a lot of benefits from what Elon Musk and what some of these other private space programs have done. Mm-hmm. If 
nobody wants it close to them. What's going to happen here? Are we going to be launching from the middle of the ocean? Is it? I mean, what are what are we going to have to do to continue to grow this type of uh, of enterprise? There's always a spot. There's always someone's always going to take them. So maybe if it's not this community, I think they could find it uh, somewhere else. And I mean, while the idea of living near a spaceport kind of sounds cool. If you live, I mean, because it's like this future, you know, you think of like more of a future. How do you really feel about that one, Anna? Yeah, Anna couldn't have scrunched her face. It almost fell in. No. For those of you audio only, oh, yeah. Can we like Is drop some... in a harumph? No. Um, but so, okay. So as interesting or cool as living near a spaceport might seem to me. Um, having, I'm with you on this one. I yeah. think it'd be cool. But living anywhere near an airport is hot trash. And so, like, the reality of it, I think, uh, makes you think, makes you understand why people might be pushing back on this a little bit. Well, and the people of Boca Chica, where SpaceX is launching, um, I mean, you have, there's, as Jeff alluded to, there's been tons of reports about, like, traffic jams. They, like, shut down highways. Yeah. People can't, like, I don't know. I, there's a lot of stuff that people don't like about being by that. Mm -hmm. And that's all there for everyone to see. So before they went to vote on this, you know, you can tell that people kind of did their research and decided but it could be you know could be just fear of like rocket parts and fire and yeah. explosions and you don't know what's there gonna was happen stuff there, falling yeah. from the sky when yeah, those no, rockets I mean, blew I mean, yeah. that's, that's fair the like video that circulated of the rocket explosion was you know from a woman hanging outside her condo mm -hmm. you know with her cell phone and you're just yeah. like that seems close see yeah exactly so i don't know i can see why people are not into it. But yeah, now this like county was it like county board is like they tried to get the courts to intervene and and yeah. like push it through and it's just ridiculous. No, and they've really it almost feels like they've really united this community about about getting behind about not allowing yeah. this to move forward mm -hmm. and their efforts to continue to shove it down their throat. Basically. Yeah, good luck getting reelected. It is uh growing up in a small town, I saw on a much smaller scale a community rally together to keep a Walmart out of town. And man, when you get them riled up together, they can be powerful. And yeah. I mean, sometimes, group. yeah, sometimes you just got to cut your losses and listen to the majority. Yeah. If people don't want it, you know, find, you know, find someplace else to go. Well, and this isn't, this isn't somebody like SpaceX or any of those other companies saying, we want to do this here. It's mm -hmm. the, it's Savannah and the county saying, we want to build this so they will come here. Yeah. So oh, there's that so part there's no too. tenant? Not, not yet. Oh. Okay, then no. It's kind of like building yeah. a municipal airport. They're saying if we build it, it'll bring in all of this opportunity. People are saying, I don't care. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so, one thing One thing that I'd like to see. Sorry, uh, what were we going to say? No, it just sounds risky to me. That's all I was going to say. Um, one thing that I would like to see is maybe if they could provide an alternative, like uh, wherever the site is in the town, maybe they could find someplace more out of town. I don't know. Like uh, well, it's try four, and come it's, up with a resolution. It's 4,000 acres. So I think there is space. And it's not like the retirement community where you're sort of, that's where it is. And it's not used to handling all the infrastructure and traffic and, and people and all of that. It's Savannah. It's a decent sized city. So all of that is there. Yeah. I think it is just kind of the mentality of this is going to be loud. It's mm -hmm. going to be more people. It's all this stuff I don't know, not in my backyard. And I would look at it as they're not, it's not like an airport where they're taking off every day. Yeah. This is a bit more control. And I would see the, I would see more positive than negative if it was me. Yeah. You should offer up your backyard if you like it so much. I don't quite have 4,000 acres. Hmm. Mm. So <laughs> need to buy up some of the folks. Right. Buy up some if neighbor's yards. Can, 
I tell you what, if they down the city of Middleton yeah. scale this down to a half acre, they they can have my backyard. <laughs> I'm in. All right. <clears throat> my in case you uh, my in case you missed it this week is a story about a man who received the first pig heart and how he died this week. Fifty-seven-year-old David Bennett died on Tuesday at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Bennett was a historical patient. He was the first person to receive a heart transplant from a pig. He died just two months after the groundbreaking experiment. At first, the pig heart was functioning, and Bennett, a handyman from Maryland, seemed to be slowly recovering. He was even able to watch the Super Bowl from his hospital bed while he was doing physical therapy. An an official cause of death wasn't announced, but he had been deteriorating rapidly in recent weeks. Transplanting animal organs into human patients is this process called xenotransplantation. Now, previous attempts failed mostly because patients rapidly reject animal organs. But prior to Bennett's surgery, scientists used gene editing to remove pig genes that triggered the rejection and actually added human genes to help the body accept the organ. Now, this was a very tragic story, but I also looked at it and this experiment gave this guy two more lo- two more months to live. And Anna uh, also was an incredible step forward in terms of the pro- uh, progress of transplanting animal organs into humans. For sure. And they made a, a adjustment. Um, and I'm sorry because I'm not a scientist, so I, I butcher the way I explain this. But like they um, adjusted uh, some sort of enzyme in there to make it harder for your body to reject it. I think in past incidents of trying to use... Uh, animal organs on transplants that the the body has rapidly rejected these. This is a long time for a, a pig heart to be in a person. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are making, it seems like tremendous progress on this, even his family, they were very grateful oh, yeah. for the opportunity to come in. And because this was really like a last ditch effort for him. He had no other options yeah. um, to be able to buy him two more months and, and in the name of science kind of make some progress here was really exciting. So even though the outcome was obviously not what anyone wanted, um, I think that people were pretty pleased in terms of what they have learned, at least from this. No, that's uh, a part of this is that to even qualify for an experiment like this, there have to be no other options and you have to be mm-hmm. on that store. Uh, so Jeff, there's this huge need for another source of organs. We have more than 41,000 people or 41,000 transplants performed in the U.S. last year, which was a record. 3,800 of them were transplant, heart transplants. More than 106,000 people remain on the national waiting list and thousands of people never even make it. Now, David Kazarowski, he's the cardiac transplant surgeon that was a part of the team that put the pig heart in the handyman, said, quote, recent successes with genetically engineered pig transplants make clear that xenotransplantation is no longer a dream from a distant future, but something becoming increasingly achievable by modern medicine. Okay, Jeff, many questions remain, but we're closer to helping these hundreds of thousands of people in need. Yeah, I mean, I say this a lot about a lot of things, but this is the thing that leads to the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we need to start someplace. And as you alluded to, both of you did. Two more months, it's awesome. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't take that? No, when you're, I mean, uh, when you have friends and loved ones that are on uh, their way out and they just live for each next day, seeing that he got two months, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that is encouraging and hopefully he was when relatively You kind of think, you know, you, you see this type of technology being advanced. We've also talked a lot about 3D printing and right. uh, the 
potential that that technology has in this same type of application. So hopefully there is a lot in motion that can bring those numbers down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anna, I just saw what your In Case You Missed It is, and I'm so excited. Tell me your In Case You Missed It. Tell Uh, everyone else anyways. uh, Yeah, I'll tell everyone at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Stoli Group has announced a major rebrand and is going to end the use of the Stoliknaya name in direct response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So going forward, the vodka will be exclusively sold and marketed as Stoli, which is what everyone calls it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But the driving factors behind this decision, um, according to the founder, Yuri Scheffler, who is Soviet-born... Um, is his vehement position on the Putin regime, which he says he's been exiled from Russia since the year 2000 because of his position on Putin. Mm. Um, Stoli employees' determination to take action and also the desire to accurately represent Stoli's roots in Latvia. So um, he said more than anything that he wishes that Stoli will represent peace in Europe and solidarity with Ukraine. I think a lot of times this we've seen a lot of response to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of response to social and geopolitical issues from corporations. I think more and more today than yeah. we did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, some of the stuff comes across as kind of knee jerk pandering when you first see it. I think in this case, there's a lot of genuine disgust towards Russia and solidarity on behalf of Ukraine from a lot of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, the person you know, being of Soviet descent and distancing himself from the actions of his home country, I think is pretty significant. That said, it's also a clear marketing choice Mm -hmm. um, to say that we are not from Russia um, when people have been shunning specifically Russian vodka. I mean, you read about that every day about how bars and distributors are dropping Russian vodkas. I mean, what do you guys think? I was kind of like, I, I, I want, you know, I think it's the real deal, but I think it's also advantageous for them from a marketing standpoint (laughs) So I don't know. Is it too soon to take a pessimistic view on that? I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But no, I think uh, I think that in times like this, people are looking to do anything. Yeah. So for me personally, I don't know how I can help. So last so last night when we were ordering dinner, we ordered from a pizza place that's selling a Ukrainian pizza. And like money from that goes to the efforts. Yeah. And so that way I feel like I can actually do something. You know, I mean, you talk about people ditching these Russian vodkas and stuff. You know, when you read the label, most of them aren't even made Mm -hmm. in Russia. They're either made in the States or surrounding areas. And I thought this in particular was such a marketing ploy. And then the fact that they just rebranded as Stoli. um, I I don't know. I found that funny. Like, uh, I know I was just like, oh, man, they're going to take a big stand and cut the Chennai off. Um, so, the, so you were not impressed. I was not impressed, but I also I'm impressed by any company right now that's doing anything they can to try and like show to show that they obviously don't support and don't want to be at all affiliated. So, so you're on both sides of this coin. He's both impressed and not impressed. <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, well, good work, Stoli. That is impressive. How can yeah. you impress and not impress well, somebody at the same time? I, well, I'm impressed. I'm impressed by their effort to do anything, <laughs> but I'm unimpressed with what they did. Hey, a oh, full rebrand. <laughs> okay. So no, I'm in, impre- you know, excellent I mean, initiative no, that, for execution. Exactly. I mean, you know, people would normally just be like, not my problem, but they're like, yeah, we should do something. And it's like, good on you. And then they're like, this is what we're doing. Miss. No. Uh, well, I mean, what a, else can a, they do? a full rebrand is expensive. I yeah. mean, it's going to cost them a lot of money to do this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's that. I don't know. True. I'm impressed by that. I am happy. <laughs> 
I'm happy like with anything that is a unifying offers a unified something that everybody can get behind mm-hmm. together and that's what this does as well as a lot of those other things that we've seen companies do. it's not unifying us we are <laughs> well i mean david's impressive it is bringing people together in terms of their support for right versus wrong that's right, true and what's right. going very on. true oh completely agree so it's i not, am it's, impressed by stoli it's dividing david only because i'm he, not a vodka drinker but now be I, maybe i will now oh man i used to love being a vodka drinker <laughs> uh Stoli, I don't know. I uh I guess I'm gonna be on both sides of this one. That's it. All right. That's Wait fine. A waffle. Yeah. yeah. Uh we did uh did you see the story today though about how there are still a number of companies that are kind of just like like I don't want to say lurking in the shadows, but kind of just waiting until they're absolutely forced to get out of Russia. I did not see that, but I believe it. Yeah, it's just so that's why again, why they're doing something. I don't right, know. yeah, yeah. It's a, and again, for me, it's not necessarily what impact this has. It's the fact that it has this general kind of overlapping effect of bringing people together. I agree. I mean, like for everyone to rally behind this and be like, yeah. this is not okay with any of us, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, that's important. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there are musicians that I follow that are selling, you you know, uh, shirts in order to support the effort. Like, I mean, uh, it's hard to see it. It's, you know, it's hard to see the footage of the kids all sleeping on the same floor packed into a one single house and just sit there thinking, I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So if it means that I've got to go out and buy a couple gallons of Stoli, I'm going to do it. All right. Even though you're not impressed. Well, we'll have to see if they also He's change impressed the flavor. Oh, okay. And not impressed. <laughs> you can be both. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts where I will again waffle. Um, the first final thoughts I wanted to give a commenter the first final thought. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, it came from a David Crows on our YouTube channel where during the podcast and Anna kind of you were out last week. So this isn't on you for missing. But when we were talking about the Model E uh, debacle, we did not mention, nor did I ever know this, but that Elon Musk originally wanted the E name because he wanted his cars to spell out sexy. Did you know that? No, that's awesome, though. Yeah. Model S, Model X, Model Y. He's got them already. That's right. He needs needed the, the e. Model E, and that's why he made it a three. So it's sexy with the three. All right. I didn't know that. That's He is a colossal yeah. dork. He, <laughs> just. I just. And when, when he said, I can't believe you didn't say that, I'm like, I, I can't believe I didn't know that. That's, yeah. yeah. So, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Thanks. Well done, learning. David. Yeah. Yeah. I meant day. Elon Musk is the dork, not you. Sorry, I hope that was clear. <laughs> okay, which now? Oh, no, they're saying that uh, our producers are talking about doing a now regarding this, and I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Hold on. We'll, uh, I think, we'll they're, hallucin- I think yeah. they're hallucinating. Yeah. yeah, they're out of their Just- element. They're usually drunk when they do most of their work, so. We will put a pin in it and check it out. Put Uh, a pin in it. Anna, what is your final thought? Uh, Just uh, glad to be back this week. Feeling a lot better, as I mentioned. Um, If you do experience um, unprecedented pain in your (laughs) abdomen, you should uh, get it checked out earlier Rather than later. Mm-hmm. That describes pretty much the difference between my experience and David's. <laughs> yeah. You should not 
try to sleep while kneeling with your head on the bed or in a bathtub, you should just go to a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, and I'm just really happy that it was a much better experience for you. And that, I mean, I don't even, I wouldn't even be here today. Like, uh, not obviously, but I mean like two weeks later, cause I was out of commission for that long. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have recovered, um, more quickly than I had even expected. So that was nice. I'm not trying to like be that guy that's like, Hey, I just, uh, yeah. got hit by a car and I'm at work or right. like that. I'm not doing that. I did take some time off last week. Um, before we get to my final thought, I wanted to ask, is it a specific episode of IEN now that you're talking about Eric and Alex producers? Which one? Was about it? This exact story that you oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. That is on us then. My bad. Thanks uh, for your input, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. I would like to say they should have spelled it out more, but they spelled it out. That's on us for missing. All right. My final thought this week. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, hello to Pete, Ryan, and Janelle, and thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. And a specific not hello to Heather for not supporting the podcast. I also wanted to say that we had another comment on uh, the story that you... I well, it follows you were impressed and not impressed. Exactly. I'm impressed with Pete, Ryan, and Janelle. Unimpressed with Heather. Are we calling out everyone who doesn't listen to the podcast? <clears throat> I, w- I will start. I will start. <laughs> That'll be my second podcast. People that don't listen to the podcast. Um, no, I believe this was a story that you wrote up a while ago, Anna, on why Walmart is giving 740,000 workers a free smartphone. Mm-hmm. And so we ran the story a while ago, and it's been getting some extra traction online. And uh, we had a comment, this guy, this random guy comments, and his name is Dan Family Man. And he says, today, March 9th, Walmart is now asking for all phones back. <gasps> Bunch of deleted. And I was just like, well, my goodness, Dan. Um, they took the phones back? They No. So I reached out to Walmart and I was just like, and I asked him, I, I talked to a spokesperson yeah. and said, hey, we're hearing that you guys are taking back the phones. What's going on? And he's like, let me say that is completely not true. Dan Family Man. Dan Family Man's a liar. And so- we followed up when I followed up with them. He not only confirmed that they're not taking back the phones, but the program was such a success. They're actually looking at ways to extend the program to more employees. <laughs> so I know that there's just a lot of garbage comments out there. And I've just felt like we had a tiny little win in a comment section where I was like, oh, my goodness, developing story. They're taking the phones back. What do you guys think? No, that's not that's not happening. It's actually been great. Did Walmart deny employing anyone named Dan Family Man? <laughs> no, but there was this part where they're just like, "Can you tell us about him?" I'm just like, no. or you know, where you heard this from? I'm like, I can I can point you to where the comment was. I don't I don't know. You don't reveal your sources. <laughs> I just did. Sorry, Dan, the Family Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, what is your final thought this? Why week? did you bring this giant book? I'll get to that. Okay, oh. relax, man. I know she's anxious, you know, missed the week, all that kind of stuff. First and foremost. Yeah, before you get into it, uh, we had a comment from Nolan who actually did write the story. We're going to ignore Nolan. No, no We're not going to pay attention to Nolan. Nolan He says that the producers are wrong. The letters were never there. And he knows because he was there. Perfect. Perfect. uh, Jeff, what's your final thought? Um, First final thought is I want to say happy birthday to my wife. Oh, happy birthday. birthday, We're celebrating a birthday and just want to give her a shout out. Wonderful, beautiful woman. And... um, we're going to have some fun. 
Finally can like get out and actually see people and do stuff. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So secondly, the trivia. So we didn't have as many correct answers for this no. one. It was kind of a tough question. Kind of realized that once I put it out. Again, the question is, which of the following are not included as a measure of manufacturing efficiency? The options were total costs, unit costs, inventory levels, and productivity. We had people guess every single one of these. The correct answer is total costs. So mm. not as many shirts to send out this week, but I also realized in putting that one together, that was not the great, not a great question. Yeah. But what I'm trying to do is find stuff that you can't just like easily Google yeah. and, and figure stuff out. So I went back after putting together a script and doing some of this stuff that reverted back to my military background. I went back to a book that everybody is given when they go through boot camp. Mm. Because at the end of basic training, you have to pass what is called the end of cycle testing. It's 20 tasks. You need to know how to do them. A lot of them are first aid. So I went to my soldier's manual of common tasks. This one's 20 years old. Whoa. So things may have changed. But one of the first things um, in first aid is called evaluating a casualty, which would also apply if you come across somebody who's just hurt. They don't you need, really need to be a casualties. battlefield casualty. They could just be somebody who's hurt. The first there and there is a number of steps you take in order mm. in terms of evaluating and then taking the right next steps. The first thing is to check for responsiveness to make sure, hey, how you doing? See if they can help you. After that, there are five things. They'll start with B. Mm. So for a T-shirt or maybe even these sweet new hats we're, uh, oh, we're yeah. offering, you need to put these in order in terms of what you would check. The five Bs are breathing, bleeding, broken bones, burns, and brain or head injuries. Whoa. So what order would you go in and sort of evaluating how this individual is doing? Okay. So what's the first one, second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one? Again, we're looking at brain and head injuries, bleeding, broken bones, burns, breathing. Wow. Put them in order. Let me know. I mean, I feel like that's a legitimate, once we learn this, a legitimate life skill that people should know. There is a lot of good stuff in this book, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll have fun going through and doing some trivia questions out of this one. I was actually suggesting, I mean, if that's you have, what it is, Anna. If, See? I guess. If I, you have... If you have cool things like this, Lana, I mean, this should be the, I mean, uh, after we've exhausted these thousand pages of trivia, <laughs> um, you just, ways. yeah, you bring toys from home and you're like, what is this? <laughs> I got a couple of those. That'd be hard to Google, but fun to play with. Yeah. If somebody knew what that was by looking at them, I would be impressed. <clears throat> uh, those right. are my final thoughts, David. That is a great final thought. Um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to make sure uh, to remind everybody that Nolan said once again that the producers were wrong uh, in regardless of what he may have commented on the podcast live. Uh, he agrees with us and not them. We just had another comment come in saying the producers need to know their role. <laughs> uh, but they're also extremely creative when it comes to creating things out of uh, just Special characters. Special characters, yeah. That is one special character that they're showing us on the prompter now. Well, let's get out of here. Yeah. We're not already Time gone. To wrap up, it I turns think. out we are number one. Yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, wrap guys. this puppy up. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also email the podcast and reach any of us at Anna, Jeff, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Please give the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. I actually went and read some of them on Apple Podcasts. They're really good. Thanks, guys, for leaving those. Um, Don't look at us. 
Oh, so I didn't leave it. I figured <laughs> no. that they left him. They left him for Anna and Jeff. So it was just like one was like I love Anna, one was like I love Jeff, and the other was replace the other guy. A lot of like <laughs> David is okay comments. Yeah. Um, finally, you can subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters and make sure you get the uh, podcast in your inbox first. All right, for Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.